Guten Morgen, Grüß Gott, Moin Moin. Ich heiße Scott Miller, this is Kathy and Allie, and we are on our way to Germany, but this morning we were on our way to Albemarle. <laughs> and as we drove, we, we were noticing the beautiful scenery in the countryside. We saw the mist up in the distance, up in the trees. It was beautiful. We saw the, the trees that are almost bare, but they still have some leaves on them that are colorful. It's the best time of year. Love this time of year. Thanksgiving, my, my favorite holiday. So many good memories growing up of the food, right? That's it. Love the food. And uh, things are different as, as the years go by and family changes. Circumstances change. Who you eat the meal with changes. And then I remember some years, I would, you know, we would be in a different scenario, and then there would be this question of, is the thing that I really want going to be there? And is it going to be made in a way that I like? You know? And then if it's not, there's a little bit of disappointment. You're thinking, gosh, there's this thing. There's people that like the, the dressing, bread dressing, or is it cornbread dressing? Which is it? See? And then there's those people that they don't like dressing at all. Don't, don't even bother. I know. So this, this year was a new thing. So our two older girls got married this year, one in May, one, one in October. And so suddenly there's this question, where we're going to do Thanksgiving? You know, we just sold our house. We have no place. The in-laws for our oldest daughter invited us there. And we're like, okay, this will be all right, right? So you start prepping your mind and you think, okay, I'm not going to get hung up on what's there on the table. I'm just going to pretend like it's another day. Whatever's there, we're going to be gracious, enjoy it, and it's going to be good. Put the expectations of what I want aside. But you know what? We have this this. Uh, Thing in America, Thanksgiving, well, Canada has it too, but there's, it's not the same. But it's unique to us, right? The holidays bring a lot of crazy things, emotions, joy, sadness. It's just this hodgepodge, and we deal with it every year. We know it's coming, and, and, and when it comes, we're, we're sometimes startled by the things that we encounter. You know, the joy of getting together with people you haven't seen. We haven't seen our oldest daughter for a while, so it was great. We got to see her. And then we're being put into a scenario where we're, we're amongst people and we're not very comfortable. You know, that often happens. And sometimes that's family relationships that you're not comfortable with. You, you're, you're out of sorts. You know, it's like, when do we get to leave? You know? <laughs> At what point is it okay to make the break? And who's the first one going to make? Those. And then there's those empty chairs of the people that weren't there. Whether they're taken away for one reason or another or they're not a part of this, this life anymore. We, we, we miss them. And the holidays bring that same thing as well. It's... Now, we do Thanksgiving well, and then immediately we transition to craziness. 
the people that we were with love them, but they do Black Friday. They invited us to their house to eat a meal at 11.30 in the morning. I'm like, why do you eat so early? And then the reason was so we can go shopping. I'm like, whoa, okay. <clears throat> so everything suddenly shifts from Thanksgiving to Christmas instantly, and the madness begins. I tell you, we do Christmas quite well here in America, but I understand that in Germany, they really do Christmas well. Am I right? I'm looking forward to this thing that they call Christmas markets, right? What do you do? You just eat, roam around. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's all food-based. <laughs> but the holidays are designed to cause us to reflect toward God. Thanksgiving is one where we recognize the goodness of God in our life. We were singing it this morning. It was wonderful. I started to choke up because I started to remember how good God has been. And even through the difficult times of life, we can recognize the hand of God who utilizes the hard things to prepare us for the things to come. He does amazing things. God is so good. But you take God out of thanksgiving, and what, have you, what are you celebrating? Gluttony? And you take God out of Christmas, and what are you celebrating? Greed? Materialism? Hope that is not founded in anything? A dream? Hope in and it of itself is nothing. Hope placed rightly in the one who can do anything is where it belongs. Germany's got this thing down with the celebration, but they've pulled themselves away from God. You know, and I ask why. How can it be that some country that has this history of great things of God happening there with the evidence dotting the landscape all around, what happens to a country and how do a people suddenly step back and, and disassociate with the one who gives them hope? I don't get it. So I ask me, myself these questions. How does it come? And does it come here to America? Step by step. You know, I see the effects of... of uh, popular culture that have affected Germany and affected America. Popular philosophies, people that are brilliant that come off with ideas like Friedrich Nietzsche whose claim to fame is there is no God. God is dead. People like Karl Marx who brought the philosophy that brought devastation in generations to come. It's amazing what just a, a wrong idea and a little bit of time can do. It's a recipe for disaster. We need the course corrections in life. Sometimes we, we recognize through holidays and through circumstances that are difficult 
things in our life that maybe are unsettling. And, and sometimes we separate from things because of shame and identity crises. You know, a lot of times people don't look at life in its whole sense. They just look in part and they start to question. They're trying to find answers, but they don't come up with any conclusions. You know, one of the things that, that hard circumstances do often, or monumental circumstances do, is it causes us to question things. Sometimes these things are the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, a pandemic. And we start to think and assess, or, or maybe the, the isolation that comes with certain circumstances, like a pandemic, where you're sitting at home alone in your own thoughts, wondering what in the world has just happened and what is happening. Start to question life, the deep things. Not only questioning life, but questioning the meaning and purpose of life. And, and more importantly, what's the meaning and purpose of my life? What does it all matter if I were to vanish? If you don't have God in that equation, your conclusions come up wrong. And hope is not present. You know, Germany, they struggle with shame from things in history in the past. Two world wars where they were on seemingly the wrong side. It's like having that relative that is in jail and you're celebrating a holiday and you don't really want to talk about them and you don't want people to ask about them. You know, Germany has that, that history of shame and that's another thing that they have to reckon with. And you see it in the way that the people interact and, they, and their aversion to nationalism. And they won't even fly the German flag on any day unless it's a sporting event. That's it. They're so ashamed. And they walk with that. And the, and the people that are, most of the people that are alive today were not even a part of anything that happened in the past, but they carry that. It was a, it was a hand-me-down from one generation to the next. And we find that sometimes the things that happen in one generation so taint the next that healing is necessary. In April, <clears throat> excuse me, in April of 1961, Adolf Eichmann was found in Argentina, brought to trial to stand and testify and to defend himself against the crimes that he was accused of committing in Auschwitz, a very difficult place. He was part of the Nazi regime and he was one of the instrumental people of running one of the death camps. He was hiding out in South America. He was found, he was brought to trial, and all this lineup of people came to testify. It was a week long, a week's long trial. Put on display for the world to see. Media from around the world focused on this. And I imagine the people in Germany sitting at home watching this as well were also affected by this. Many of the people that came to testify were Jewish. 
and had been in the camps. One of the people that came to testify, his name was Yael Danur. He walks into the, to the courtroom because it's his turn to testify. He looks across the courtroom and he sees Eichmann sitting in the, in the, in the chair, the defendant's seat. The German man who was a, he was a Jew and he was a little boy in the Auschwitz camp. He falls to the floor, collapses. He's being picked up and the cameras are in his face and people are trying to assess what happened. And they're surmising that maybe it was the fright of seeing the man that had taken his family out and done all these terrible things after all of these years. And he stands up and a reporter asks him, what went wrong? What happened? And Denur says to the person, I looked across and I saw Eichmann and I recognized that I'm just like him. And then the reporter turns to the camera and he asks the question, was Eichmann a monster or worse, was he normal? The idea is that inside of each one of us, we have the capacity for the most treacherous and horrible things. And apart from God, we too, given the right circumstances, could be just like any of the people who have done the horrible things that have transpired in history anywhere in the world. We all are born with the same issues at hand. We have this sin nature that is passed down from one generation to the next. Unless we give ourselves over to God and trust in him for his salvation, we cannot escape from this. It's inside of us. You know, Jesus comes along and he takes the message and he heightens it because people were coming to him and they were saying, good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And he starts listing off some of, the, some of the pieces in the law. In the Mount of, in the, the great sermon of Jesus, where he says, you've heard that it was said. And then he heightens it by adding something to it that is internal that is based in our mind and our heart and our intention, that it doesn't even have to play out in action. Three or four things he lists. And we recognize that every one of us is in need of a savior. Every one of us needs this hope that we can't attain. God has been very intentional over the, over the centuries he began with a plan to bring the entire planet back to himself, if possible. He institutes sacrificial atonement and a system for doing that where, where there's a temple and a place to worship God and, and an animal can be brought to be sacrificed so that we can deal with our sin so that we can come close to God. Because if you 
do not deal with your sin, you cannot come close to God. You have to reconcile that because a holy God can't interact with sinful man. So God institutes this plan of sacrificial atonement. He then foreshadows the Lamb of God that would come, that would be more than enough to pay the penalty for not only one person's sin for a year, but for the planet for all time. God was very intentional. He told that plan to Abraham. It plays out through history, through the prophets and the things that are said, looking forward with expectation to that one that would come that would bring hope, true hope. We're looking at a candle. Sequentially, we will light them, and we're looking, remembering the advent of the one to come, the one that brings hope, the one that brings light into a dark world. We're on the other side of history on the other side of these things. And we remember and look back, but still we are in the same shoes as everyone else. We all need God. You know, the other day I, I heard that there was somebody who drove a car into a parade and, and killed some people. Very sad. You know, we, I have been apart from the news for one year and one month now. I've dropped off, I cannot watch it anymore. So I worried if, if I would miss out on important information, but you know what I've found is that through social media and through word of mouth, I hear everything that's important. And I'm not overwhelmed. We, these things happen year after year, devastating things at holidays and other times. There was one pastor, he, he wrote, and I captured this because it was so good. He said that today's media, the 24-hour news cycle and social media themselves all contribute to create a faux omniscience that our souls are not enabled to take in. We do not have the capacity. God is the only one who has the capacity to know what is happening around the world all the time and to deal with the treachery and the difficulty and the hardships and to have this influx. Only God can handle that. We, being finite beings, do not have that capacity. These things that happen... They cause you to wonder. You know, I, I have spent a lot of time since this pandemic questioning deep things. And then I'm looking for wisdom. I'm trying to find God in this scenario. And I'm trying to find hope. And I look to the wisdom literature in the Bible. And that is written by Solomon, mostly. So I di deep dive into Ecclesiastes. I deep dive into some of the others. And, I, and I'm coming up with not much because this guy did not offer me hope. He was rather defeating to read. I've tried everything. Nothing works. There's nothing new under the sun. And then you're dead. Where's the hope? See, one of the things that, that Solomon 
did not provide us with in his, in his words, in his writings, was an eternal perspective. He only was looking at this life. He didn't look beyond this life. And we are people who are created in the image of God. We're given life and breath by God. And we will live beyond this life somewhere. Solomon did not look beyond. He's the one that built the temple, right? David, a man after God's own heart, wanted to build the temple. He was not allowed because he was a man of blood. He had sin in his life. Solomon got to build the temple, but we know he had sin in his life too. But we see what transpires from one generation to the next in that family. A man after God's own heart does not impart into his son adequately his faith, his love of God. Solomon doesn't, starts well, finishes poorly. He does not impart into his son the things of faith and of God. And the grandson, Rehoboam, splits the kingdom. By the time Jesus came, the kingdom was split into two. You had those that were carried off into one captivity, those that were carried off into another. Jesus is gathered his disciples. He's trying to impart to them things that are beyond mere religion, things that are beyond just routine. He's talking about relationship with himself. He's trying to clue them into the things of God. And he is giving them a clue in everything he does. And one of these times, he says to them, we are going to go back to the other place. We've got to go through Samaria. We find this in John chapter 4, where we encounter a story where Jesus encounters this woman at a well. And a lot of times, our focus is on that exchange it's a very interesting exchange where this woman has a progressive revelation of God, where she meets him, and her initial reaction is, oh, you're a Jew, a Jewish man, and how can you talk to me as I'm a Samaritan woman? And the progressive revelation of God is that he's greater than Jacob, who gave us this well. And then later, oh, you're a prophet, because he starts reading her mail and revealing things that nobody could know that doesn't know her. And then he reveals himself as Christ. But the purpose of that trip through Samaria, which Jews often would avoid because they would go over to the coast in Joppa, get on a boat, sail around, because Samaritans are half-breeds. Half Jew, half Gentile. And Jews were very strict about who they would interact with. But not Jesus. He was pulling them out of their comfort zone left and right. Speaking to a woman, that wasn't done. Interacting with Samaritans. He sent the guys into the town to go find food, kosher food, in a Samaritan village. They were gone a while. He had plenty of time for a great conversation with this lady. But he was instilling in them this concept of the plan. The plan was redemption for the world. He was instilling within them the ideas that there would be this sacrifice that would take place. He kept dropping hints. Sometimes it was more than a hint. It was very explicit. I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to 
be crucified and raised again. Sometimes he just tells them outright. And then the disciples, with their own agenda, give him grief. And he has to set them in their place. The point is, is that God has, has created this plan of redemption. It's for the world. But it begins with you. If you're celebrating holidays without God in the equation, it's empty and meaningless. It's one of Solomon's favorite phrases, meaningless, meaningless. That's what holidays without God are, meaningless. Every one of us, we come to difficult times in our lives and we question purpose and meaning of our life. And here's the thing, even if you do not know God, the question still comes because God set eternity in the hearts of people. We can't help but question these things. Without God, life has no meaning. There is no purpose. Only by connecting with God in God's way, not your way, his way, his method, through Jesus and trusting in him for salvation, only that will give your life meaning and purpose. And then once you connect with God, he draws you in to be a part of what he's doing. Collectively, we work together as one body for the single purpose of reaching this planet to give them hope. How do you do that? You have to begin with a conversation. Well, how do you start a conversation? In some places, it's easier than others. Here in, in the southern U.S., you just strike up a conversation, talk about football, talk about the weather, whatever, like that. You know, you... But some of you don't. You hold back. In Germany, it's a bit more difficult, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around how do I initiate a conversation with people who don't talk to each other? You sit on a crowded bus staring at each other, and nobody talks. The grocery aisle, the only thing you'll hear is, faster, get out of my way. But we have to interact with people. The hope of the world has been deposited into those of you who know God. And you initiate conversations with people now, and you testify to what your eyes have seen and your hands have touched. The dying world is counting on you. And God's called us to a different place to do the very same thing. And we're a part of a team. There's one team. And we pray that you will send us. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Um, again, um, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be hanging out eating soup. Um, it's almost Superpalooza time, and uh, please visit their table. Learn about how you can pray for them, support them. I want you all to stand. I'm going to commission you. I'm going to commission you to go do exactly what Scott just talked about. Um, we, we love hope.
right? We love what God gives us and what he wants us to give to other people. So um, if you want to be authorized, I want you to raise your hands. And I'm going to pray that God authorizes you to be a hope dealer this week. Right now, Father, in your name, Jesus, I thank you for the just the encouragement, God, that we heard just as Scott just walked us through, man, just how you have worked in the area of hope and redemption through all the years, and you have not stopped. God, you're now looking at us, and you're saying, hey, next person up is you. I'm looking for you to take my hope and give it to the world. And so, Lord, I commission this house to be a house full of hope dealers this week in Albemarle and Stanley County and wherever else you take us. God, we're going to deal hope to people who are hopeless. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to ignite a conversation that simply allows us to speak the name of Jesus. And when we do, God... That same God that we've talked about this entire service, that Jesus who said the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, that Jesus through our words of hope is going to set the captives free here and in Germany. And someday we're going to stand before the throne and worship with brothers and sisters in a country that we may never visit, but we can support the reach of it. And we thank you for it. I pray for Scott and for Kathy. I pray for their family, God, that you would continue to be the faithful God that we know you are. You would provide everything that they need financially, spiritually, emotionally, practically, God, that you would go before them and make a way even when there seems to not be one. I thank you that you can reverse statistics like 2% know Jesus and 98 don't. And so I pray that their light in that dark place would be just as powerful as the lights that we light in a dark room. It just takes one, and the darkness flees. And so we just pray that over their family, God, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.